You are listening to audio from Citizens Church Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at the end of the chapter this morning before we uh, do a baptism. That's why the tank is here. If you're, you know, if you're wondering, you're a guest and you're like, why is there a big tank in the front here? This is what we use for baptisms. There's plenty of room for a person to be in there. So. <laughs> and the water is actually decently warm as well. So, We've been looking at uh, this epistle of Ephesians now for, I don't know, five or six weeks. And um, in this chapter, Paul is going to end with a prayer and the Apostle Paul uh, is probably one of the most influential people, people on the planet. Um, even people who aren't Christians, uh, especially in the Western world, but are around the world, have been influenced by Paul's teachings and by the things that he wrote. The majority of the New Testament outside of the Gospels was written by Paul. And we looked at Paul's own testimony last week a little bit, how he was a persecutor of the early church, and he was opposed to it. And in Galatians this week, I was reading a couple of verses that give us Paul's mindset, where he was at before he came to know Christ. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And verse 14 says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was dedicated to Judaism, to studying the Jewish texts, and to understanding the religious ways of the Jewish people until God met him. In Acts chapter 9, we see the story where God actually comes and meets him on the road. And in a miraculous way, Paul's life is completely turned 180. And he goes from being totally dedicated to Judaism, following the law, religious life, to totally being a follower of Jesus, right till the end of his days, till he actually dies. And in our text this morning, Paul is going to pray for these believers, and a prayer for us who read it some 2,000 years later, a prayer that would call us not to miss it, because Paul lived most of his life living religiously and completely missing what God was doing around him, so much so that when the Messiah came and was here on earth, Paul, his interaction with him, either with his followers after, or maybe even some interaction in real time, completely missed the Messiah. So this morning, as we look at the text, I want you to ask that very same question, because it's possible, seeing uh, Paul's testimony here, to be involved in religious activity. It's very possible to be a student of the scriptures, to be attending 
religious ceremonies that we call church on Sundays, to be involved in religious activity, kindness to others, maybe even giving financially to organizations. It's possible to do all those things and miss the point of Jesus. So as we look at the text this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is going to lead us in a prayer to kind of self-evaluate. And he's going to, we're going to look at it in, in three parts here, okay? We're going to look at what Paul is asking for in his prayer, how do we get it, and why do we need it, okay? Those three things before we get Maria in the water here, we're going to tackle those three things. How we get it, why we need it, and then firstly, what is Paul asking for? Ephesians is a neat little book. Um, neat meaning the first three chapters are pretty much exclusively related to the new spiritual life that we have in Christ. All, all that it means to be in Christ is explained in chapters 1 through 3. And then after that, 4 through 6 is very practical in nature. How do we actually get along together? How do marriages work? How do parenting work? All those things, employer relationships, the spiritual war that we are in. So in both of these two sections, Paul is kind of doing different things, but he started with chapters 1 through 3, which lay the, the spiritual foundation, and it gives to us a word that many of us are familiar with, but maybe we don't think a lot about. It gives to us doctrine. Chapters 1 through 3 is essentially doctrine. And Paul has been laying out all kinds of different doctrines in these first three chapters. I just wrote down a few just to remind us. He talked about how we are predestined in Christ and how we are adopted into God's family. How we were spiritually dead and now we have been made spiritually alive in Christ. And all of these truths plus others, we categorize into what we call doctrine. The, basically, the, the truths of Scripture organized and put into right order so that we can understand what it is that the author is talking about, or maybe at times it's coming to us in the form of a narrative, a story, or prophetic language, or poetry, whatever it is, we kind of put it together into doctrine. And Paul has been wanting to impress us so that this doctrine is not just dead doctrine. It's not just books on a shelf. It's not just a systematic theology. It's not just something that's you know, studied in seminary. But he's wanting to take this doctrine and bring it into the reality of our lives. Because it's very possible to know a lot about God and be unimpressed with God. The nation of Israel, if you're familiar with the story, and many of us are, saw God free them out of slavery. They were in captivity and God says, you're my people, I'm bringing you out. So he did all these plagues before them. He parted the Red Sea before them. They walked through like miraculous things. They saw, they saw on display the doctrine of God. And yet, when Moses went up to the mountain, they said, Aaron, make us a gold calf. We're not really that impressed with God's doctrine. And that is what Paul does not want to happen in our lives. All these truths that he's been sharing 
all of these truths that he's been revealing, these mysteries, he says, they were meant to be real-time active in your life. So, look at verse 14 again in Ephesians chapter 3 at what Paul says here. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. I'm actually, um, just like a little sub point, I really love that this is in here, the first part there for this reason, because if you'll look back at verse 1 of chapter 3, you'll see that Paul actually started this thought in verse 1. So he said, for this reason, and then he was going to go into this prayer request, but he got distracted from verses 2 all the way to 13. So I don't know how your prayer life or your study life goes, but I'm comforted that Paul is distracted sometimes because I, my prayer life sometimes is like, I'm praying for my family, and then I'm thinking about the Raiders that are playing on Monday night, and they are in a new stadium. What is it, how many people can fit in that stadium? You know, and I'm just like, rabbit trail, who knows where this ends up. That happened to Paul. Now, he wasn't thinking about a, a football stadium. He was thinking about doctrine, but he got distracted here as well, but now he's coming back to it. Okay, he's coming back to the prayer request. And Paul is actually wanting to reason, and then now in verse 14, for this reason. So what's the reason? The reason that Paul is going to pray this prayer is all the things that he has previously shared. All the spiritual truths. And in my opinion, in, in reading this text, I think his primary thrust is what he most recently taught, and that is this idea of Jews and Gentiles being brought together into one family. This idea of reconciliation. For those of us who have, been, have seen the news at all this weekend, we've seen what's happening in Israel, and we can see the tension that is existing in that country between two parties. And I'm 45 years old, and basically this has been a tension that has been going on all of my life. There's constant battle happening in the Holy Land. There is constant uh, erosion. There's no reconciliation that's actually happening. It'd be a miracle for these two parties to come together and find peace. And Paul says a greater reconciliation has actually happened. Greater than any war that we've ever experienced on the planet. And that was that a holy God, perfect and sinless, was reconciled to sinful people. A, a bridge was made so that sinful people like me, like you, like people on the streets, could know and be in relationship with God. Reconciliation. And the people who were reading this were experiencing a similar kind of, their mind was being blown as well. As the Romans were uh, laying siege to different places, as they were oppressing different nations, here Paul is saying, we can actually be in relationship together. As different people coming from different places with grudges, with grievances, God has brought our relationship together between him and us, and now he's also done this miracle of bringing people together 
members in one family. And so Paul says, that is a miracle. And he says, this doctrinal truth that I've been sharing with you is so mind-blowing. The only thing that he can think of doing is, I'm going to pray that it lands deep in your hearts. Because the natural heart will not just like grab this up. And so Paul says, my prayer is that this truth would come in and the, again, the, the doctrinal truths that he has been sharing would actually come into the innermost part of our hearts. The, the place within Scripture that is actually the, the, the decision-making place. We call it the heart, and in ancient times it was referred to as the liver or the innermost being at times. It's the place where your decisions are made. We also call it worldview. So the choices that you make in your life happen in your innermost being. And so Paul is saying these truths, for them to take root and to bear fruit in your life, need to go down into the innermost being. And Paul knows it as, as well as any you know, preacher or, or any communicator knows it. That is a work of God. That is a work of God. As someone who preaches or someone who teaches, you know that all you're doing is you're scattering seed. You're just putting things out there, and then it's God who has to bring it in. So Paul says, I'm praying that this is actually going to happen, that these truths that have been shared would go deep into your innermost being, and they would actually begin to bear fruit in your life. And so he says that he actually says that he is going to bow down and pray for this, which is not normal. Normal praying in ancient times, especially among Jewish people, still to this day, even you'll see them at the Wailing Wall, is standing. They're going to stand to pray. They're going to raise their hands and pray to God. Paul here, though, is saying, I kneel down. And there's a few times in the scriptures where we see this kneeling down actually happening. Solomon, when the temple is being blessed, says that he kneels down and he raises his hands and prays to God, thanking him for the blessing of seeing this project come together. The, maybe the most well-known for those of us who know the scriptures is the story of Jesus in the garden, who when he's feeling the weight of all that's coming for him, kneels down and prays to God. And so here's well, Paul is saying, I'm kneeling and I'm praying because I've communicated these doctrinal truths, the truths of our newness in Christ, our oneness together as his people, and I want these truths to take root in your life in very real and practical ways. So, what is Paul asking for? He's asking that the roots and the seed of the gospel will go into people's lives Secondly, how do we get it? Look at verse 17 through 19. Verse 17 says this, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that, may be, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this is Paul's prayer request. This is what he's saying. He's like, this is my hope, after explaining all this truth to you, is that these truths would come into your life. 
that they would become a reality. And these truths are, these are big truths, which we'll see in a minute here. But he says, there's a couple ways that we're going to draw out that Paul says, this is how you get it. Okay, so those of us who are studying the scriptures now, 2,000 years later, you know, if we have an interest in following Jesus and, and knowing how this actually shaped our lives, we should, our ears should be attuned to, okay, what is Paul saying is the way that I actually enter into understanding all these truths. And we're going to point out two of them right now. The first one is this, in verse 17, the first part there it says, through faith, through faith. So 17, the first section there says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's no way around it. Being a Christian means on some level that we are exercising faith because Jesus is not here present among us. He's not incarnate now. We have for our benefit the scriptures which reveal to us what his life was like and we can learn about him. But in the end, we are putting our faith in the fact that witnesses saw him, interacted with him, saw him resurrected, and then they recorded for us the truth in the scriptures. And now here we stand 2,000 years later and we say either yes or no to faith in Jesus Christ. But another aspect of our Christian walk is actually taking steps of faith so that our trust in God increases. As we take steps of faith and enter into different circumstances, the the faith that is like born in us, the small little faith, begins to grow and grow and grow. So there are opportunities that come before us where we can actually stretch and we can trust in God in new ways. Uh, I often think about this example. I, I don't think I've used the example here before. It comes from the great film work called Indiana Jones. I don't know if you've seen the Indiana Jones movies, okay? Uh, I watched the latest one lately, and it wasn't that good, so watch the old ones from the 80s, okay? But in the old Indiana Jones movie in The Last Crusade, near the end of the movie, the, um, the doctor, I can't even remember his name. Oh, Dr. Jones, sorry. Okay, that's pretty obvious, the Indiana Jones. Dr. Jones is trying to get to the Holy Grail, right? And he has to go through all these different mazes and different feats, and he comes to this one section where... Uh, he has to cross to the other side. It's like a 30-meter gap-ish, you know, and he has to step over that and get to the other side. And the clues that he has are all about stepping out in faith. And his father, who is laying all the way back and he's injured, he keeps mumbling to himself, Indy, you have to believe. You have to believe. And then, like, Steven Spielberg does, you know, a great shot. You see uh, Indiana Jones lift up his foot like this, and then into, like, nothingness, he takes a step forward. And then there's this, like, hidden bridge that he stands on. Great, you know, movie CGI stuff that's happening, okay? Each one of us as believers are going through that very same exercise. As, as God brings things into our lives, as we interact with people, as we go to work and we go to school, Paul says, here's how the truth of the gospel actually begins to dwell deeply in your innermost being. 
is you see the presence of God as you step out in faith. You see God show up as you do something that would be maybe out of your natural character. But it's either you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit or in obedience to the scriptures, you say, I'm going to put my trust not in my own calculations, not in my own abilities. I'm going to trust that God is leading me and you step out in faith. And when you do that, Paul says, there's growth that happens. And this is what the Christian life is like. Opportunities come before us. People come into our lives. And we are able to stretch our exercise muscles and to build our strength of faith. We're not stronger and better, but what happens is we are more connected to the one who is, which is Christ himself. So Paul says, this is my prayer for you, that you would put into practice this act of faith and you would actually experience the growth as God's people. The second one, so through faith in 17, the beginning of 17, then the second one is through the saints. So look again at verse 18 because he, he says this is what you're actually going to learn together with God's people. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So here we go. Paul says the way that you're actually going to get to this, you know, down into this bottomless pit of knowing the love of Christ is actually with God's people. And if you've been in church for a long time, you might be thinking, seriously? With God's people? That's how we're actually going to like work this thing out, work out all these doctrinal truths? Can't we just study them? And can't we just pray and then like they're downloaded into our lives? No, Paul's saying the way you actually learn to live out these truths is together as God's people. So if you've had in your mind like this idea of, I don't really need like the local church. I can get like, I don't need to listen to subpar preaching at Citizens. I can get the best preachers on podcasts, like top shelf. I can listen to those guys. I can listen to the best worship, whoever your favorite worship band is. Why do I need the local church? I'm just telling you, that is a wrong perspective. Okay? Because Paul is saying the way that we work it out, and this, it might not be comfortable to hear that because we often have like our own plans, but Paul is saying the way you work this out is in real time with God's people. The very people, now don't look around, but the very people that you might not even like that much. There is some sort of miraculous work that happens when flawed people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, come together seeking Jesus together. That's what Paul says is a miraculous event. That's where doctrine becomes real. A.W. Tozer says, Because God is self-existent, his love had no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, it has no limit. And because he is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, a shoreless sea. 
And that's what we're seeking together. That's what we're looking to together. That's why every week I say, let's look at the scriptures. You're going to hear me talk, but you should hear from me what the scriptures are saying. Because we're looking at this together. And Tim Mackey says this. He's from the the Bible Project. He says, there are dimensions of God's love that are locked to me if I don't get outside of myself. I love that line. There are dimensions of God's love that you will not have access to if you do not avail yourself of doing this work with the saints, together with the saints. So Paul says, all this doctrinal truth, I I want it to be real in your life. So here's a couple ways to do it. Through faith and together with all the saints. This is where the truths land. And this goes so against our natural inclinations. Our, the natural vision that we have for our own lives is that our ideas are the best, that we've kind of got a handle on life, and if we could just connect with people and, you know, if I could have a coffee with someone, I could just impart some wisdom in humility and their lives would be, like, better. And the scriptures remind us that God has given us some wisdom God has given us some things that we've learned along the way. We thank God for that. Those things are best exercised in community together. In community together. So God's vision is pointing each other, pointing each other to Jesus Christ. So we looked at what Paul is asking for, how do we get it, and then finally why we need it. Look at verse 20 through 21. 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm sure this is a benediction that we've used a number of times here. When we do our benedictions, you know, we read it. It's Paul is kind of putting a bit of a capstone to this doctrinal section that he's worked on, and he just kind of throws this benediction out there. And we use benedictions in the local church to offer one kind of, one final parting word of hope to all of us as we exit out the building. It's one more reminder of of what God is doing, what God has done for us as we leave. And so Paul here is reminding them, this is the end of his prayer, and it's a prayer ending slash benediction, but he's reminding them that, and us, that every single one of us is in need of God. Every single one of us is in need of God's love, his provision, his protection, all the things that God provides for his children. We need those. There's this, there's this song, uh, Matt Mayer sings it. I don't know if he wrote it or if it, someone else wrote it. Um, I Need Thee. Remember that song? Lord, I Need Thee. And this is how the, the first verse in the chorus goes. It says, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. It's a beautiful song, and it reminds us 
that we don't just need God when the worst event comes into our life. That can be my inclination, that that's when I'm really going to need God. When I get some sort of diagnosis, or when some loved one, you know, dies from my family, or some significant, that's when I'm going to need God. This song reminds us, along with the benediction here, that we need God all the time, every hour, every minute. We, we just are so desperately in need of God and his love to shape us, to orientate our lives, to help us make sense of the world that we're living in. This is book, The Four Loves. He talks about this, uh, this idea of a, a, a never-ending need for God's love. It's, it's a, our need for God's love is something that we'll never grow out of. So if you thought you were going to graduate and go into like another level of Christianity, Lewis says, there is no new level. This is the level. We need God. And we need the love of God to touch our lives constantly. Because our lives are filled with such great highs which we are led to worship as idols in our lives, and such great lows, which cause us to question everything that we understand. And so Paul here then says, he says this, God is able to do far more than we could ever think or ask. He says, to the one who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What a, what a sentence. Like, what, what is going on in your life or, or that only God could solve. Something that you wish he would do maybe in your own life. Or, or a problem that you're facing in, in some you know, relationship or some work thing, whatever. That maybe that you can't even think of the solution to. Paul says, God is able to do abundantly more than you ever could think. And maybe the, the abundantly is actually when, it, when the problem isn't solved... He gives you peace. When the answer doesn't come, he gives you patience. But Paul says, this is the culmination of all these truths that we've been studying. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who have been made new in Jesus, your life can be marked by difference. The truth of Jesus can actually shape you. And so Paul says, this is my prayer for you. And let me close just with a story from Paul's own life. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing the last epistle that he is going to write. And he is knowing that his death is coming. Okay, He doesn't know when exactly, but he knows the end of his life is coming. So Paul's like thinking, this is it. I've been on trial, I've stood for Christ, and now it's coming to the end. And so Paul writes, and he actually at the end of the book, he talks about all kinds of people. So listen to what he writes here. He says, do your best to come and see me. And he's talking to Timothy there. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. So Paul's like, I got some people I want to see. You know, this is near the end of my life. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. And when you, bring, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, 
also the books, and above all, the parchments. And then he says this in verse 16. So he's got this list of people he wants to see. He needs his books. He's a regular theologian. He's got to have his books. Then he says this. At my defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. He says, Timothy, this is it, man. This is my experience. I'm near the end of my life. All these people that were following me, all these people who were joining me in this mission, all gone. And Paul is, is feeling low, alone, feeling deserted. He's saying, nobody was there. Everybody deserted me. But then listen in verse 17. He says this, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Church, it is possible to experience the presence of Jesus in your life in real-time strength by knowing Jesus and experiencing him. And Paul, with his words and with his life, says, I have experienced the presence of Jesus in the, in the worst of moments and in the best of moments, and it has been a comfort and a strength. And my prayer along with Paul's, is that that would be your experience, even today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this prayer from Paul. Thank you for his testimony. And Lord, I pray that we would experience the presence of Jesus in our lives in real, tangible ways for your glory, for your grace, and for our enjoyment and witness here on earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.